You turn to Acts chapter 13, if you would. Acts chapter 13. We're going to divert from our study from Job for just one Sunday because of our special emphasis this morning on missions and world missions. And as you're turning there, I have no desire this morning to hide from you the goal for this message. My goal is that for each person here listening this morning at the end of this message to be determined to be involved in world missions in a greater way now today than you were when you walked in here this morning. If you're not praying for missionaries regularly, if you're not sacrificially giving to missionaries as we do, then I'm hoping that, my, that before the end of this message or by the end of this message, you will commit yourself to doing those things. And if you are doing those things, my goal is for you to increase your efforts in both of those areas. And I'm going to attempt to do that this morning by making missions as personal as I can to you this morning. That is why the title of this message is Getting Personal. Uh, we could say Getting Personal as far as world missions go. Uh, I want us to see how missions has impacted us personally. And then maybe as we see that, we'll be more motivated to involve ourselves in world missions as a result. Now, I wonder how many of you have ever traced back your family tree to see where your ancestors came from and so forth. Uh, many take great interest in doing that. I've got a, a cousin who've done that with my mom's side of the family. They've tracked, tracked, she's tracked the roots back of our family as far as she could. Now, I've never seen the results of that. I'm actually a little afraid to see the results of that. I'm afraid that there's some serial killer or some psychopath in our line that I don't want to know about. So I really wouldn't be all that, that surprised if there was. So I just don't really even want to know that. However, it's interesting, interesting to search out where you came from uh, as far as your earthly ancestors go. I think it'd be even more interesting to see where your spiritual ancestry is, what your spiritual track is, what is your spiritual heritage. Wouldn't you like to know who all was involved in you becoming a Christian? Uh, for example, I was led to Jesus Christ by my dad. Uh, my dad came to Jesus Christ through an evangelist by the name of Fred Brown. In fact, I was listening to Fred Brown's message the night that I trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I've got a tape of, of that man's, me- uh, Fred Brown's testimony, and he tells in that tape, the recorded message, who led him to Jesus Christ. So I can trace my spiritual roots back that far. I know who my dad's uh, person, his person was, as far as who led them to Christ. That's as far as I can go. But if you took your spiritual roots back, no matter how far you took it, sooner or later you're going to wind up in Acts chapter 13. I want you to look at two verses as we start this morning. There are two verses in this chapter that are key, I think, to the entire book of Acts. Now look at verse 46, if you would. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. It says that then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have spoke, uh, been spoken to you. But seeing you have put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now, the entire context of this chapter is really missions, reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where we have chosen to put our focus this day, uh, specifically reaching others around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see this morning, as we go through this message, that missions was actually instrumental in you trusting Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Your salvation, whether you knew it or not, is a product of missions. Now, oftentimes when we think of missions, we think about that as being something reaching out to foreign countries, uh, third world countries and so forth, places not here that have no preachers and no gospel preaching churches anywhere. Uh, or we might see missionaries as reaching out to some specific group in our community who need to hear what Jesus Christ has done for them. Now, in both cases, that is what missions is all about. But in reality, we are all the product of missions. 
Each one of us here was saved because of the willingness of somebody to go and tell others of Jesus Christ, who told others of Jesus Christ, who told others of Jesus Christ, who eventually told you about Jesus Christ. So this morning, I wanted to look at a missions program that got you and I saved. I want you to see how it all fits together so that you and I would hear of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want us to see our responsibility to that as those who have been the recipients of the benefits of missions. So the first part of this message, in fact, a great deal of this message, is very doctrinal. There's a doctrinal foundation to missions that we want to see. We want to see how God has built the foundation for missions, and as a result, uh, many have come to Jesus Christ from that. So we want to see the foundation of the endeavor, and we're given that first to us in Acts chapter 13. Now, I want you to understand, we're not going to read the whole chapter this morning for sake of time, but I'd like you to understand what's going on here in the verses in uh, Acts chapter 13 so we know the context. In verses 1 through 3, Paul and Barnabas set out on their first missionary journey. They traveled to Ant from Antioch through Cyprus and into Asia Minor. In verse 14, uh, they arrive in Antioch of Pisidia, and as was their custom, they went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, I want you to understand, Paul and Barnabas were separated out for that work, and the church abided by the will of God and sent them out. That's how it is supposed to happen. That is how gospel missions is done in the word of God. Uh, people are called by God and separated out, and then the local church uh, supports them and funds them and sends them to the place where God has called them. That's what we have done with the Youngs in particular. Now, in verse 14, as I say, they arrive in Antioch and they go to the synagogue because that was their custom. In verse 15, the rules of the synagogue give Paul and Barnabas the opportunity to say something if they chose to. Well, you know the Apostle Paul, he would never miss an opportunity to speak for Jesus Christ. And so he stands up, and from verse 16 until verse 43, Paul lays out what God has done for them in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three things I'd like you to see this morning as we consider this idea of missions in this passage. And first, I want you to notice the reaction of the Jews to what Paul said. The reaction of the Jews to what Paul has said. In verse 45, Paul gives the gospel. Let me read that to you. Rather, Paul has given the gospel, and here's the reaction he gets. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken of Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Paul gives out the gospel. Paul tells them of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He proclaims the good news to them that anybody who trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior can have sins forgiven and can partake in eternal life. And what do these devout Jews do in the response to that wonderful, glorious message? Verse 45 tells us they are filled with envy, and they speak against Paul's message, and they contradicted him, and they blasphemed. Now, when you first read that, that might surprise you a little bit that they reacted in that way. I mean, these are God's chosen people. These are the ones that God has come to first off uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here are God's chosen people, the one the gospel was originally designed for, rejecting his message and refusing to hear it. And yet, you see, that really shouldn't surprise us. Because on at least three other occasions, or two other occasions, rather, uh, the Jews did the exact same thing. Again, I'm not going to have you turn there for sake of time, but in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 19, uh, Peter boldly preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to a group of Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And Peter's message was accusing, but it was also clear and concise and convicting. And what do those Jews do, those rulers do in response to that message? Verse 18 says this, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Basically what those rulers said was, 
We don't want to hear this. You be quiet. Don't speak of Jesus Christ anymore. We don't want you to speak it. And we don't want anybody else to speak it. God's chosen people. God's inheritance. Rejecting the message of Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 7 verses 51 through 58. You've got another great preacher. A man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was accused by the Jews of preaching heresy. So they detained him and asked him to defend himself. And what Stephen does for almost the entire chapter, seventh chapter of the book of Acts, is proclaim to them in the plainest language possible who Jesus Christ was and what the Jews actually did when they crucified him. How did the Jews handle that? Verse 54 of Acts chapter 7 says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were convicted by the message. They heard the truth of what he said. They knew they were guilty of crucifying the Son of God. But rather than turn from their sin and accept him and turn to God, they instead turned on Stephen and attacked him and berated him and accused him. And when Stephen refused to renounce his message, the Jews had enough and they took stones and they stoned Stephen to death. All because of the message of the gospel. Right there in front of the council, they killed this man for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's chosen people. Refusing to hear the message that God designed for them. So there you have from chapter 13 and those other two places, we have three times where the Jews simply refused to hear the message that God had for them. The message of Jesus Christ. However, the Israel not only refused the message of Jesus Christ, they also refused the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus Christ came for one purpose when he started his ministry. Acts chapter 15 verse 24 tells us, he says, I'm not come, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus Christ came for the lost sheep of Israel. He came for the sole purpose of restoring Israel back to where they were before they sinned and rejected God. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven to them, that literal physical kingdom, back to them again. But in order to do that, their sin had to be settled first. The sacrifices they had made over the centuries weren't enough because they only provided a temporary fix to the problem of sin. And so he came first as a lamb of God who had come to pay the price for their sin. But that's not what they wanted and that's not what they expected. They didn't want a lamb. They wanted a king. They wanted a Messiah who had rescued them from the foreign rule that was they were under. And since Jesus Christ did not come first as a king, they wanted no part of him whatsoever, and the nation as a whole rejected him and ultimately put him on the cross. He came to them, seeking them, desiring to restore them, but they rejected his message and they rejected his person. Truly, one of the saddest truths of all of Scripture is that the people of God, the people that God chose, did not choose him. And they rejected God's grace. They could have been a trophy of that grace. They could have been an example that God wanted them to be. They could have stood as an example of God's faithfulness. They could have shown how God never forsakes his own, how he remains faithful and true to those that he loves. But Israel wanted no part of it. And instead of being an example, they became a mission field. We're going to talk about more of that after the message this morning. But notice also, Israel not only rejected the message, they not only rejected the person, Israel also rejected their responsibility. Look at verse 47, if you would, of Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, 47 says this, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Paul's not speaking there of himself. He's not speaking there of Barnabas. He is speaking of the nation of Israel. 
And he's saying to them, God has designed you to be the nation through which the gospel would come to the world. God told them repeatedly that it would be their responsibility to be a light to all those nations and especially the Gentile nations of the world. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God is speaking to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And God tells Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God said that of a nation. God said that of the nation of Israel. All the families of the earth are to be blessed by this nation that God would establish. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6, God tells Israel this, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from prison, and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. God says it again in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Again, Isaiah 55, 5, the same message. Behold, thou shalt, be called, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. And nations that knew thee not shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. That is all about one nation, folks, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. That's what God told them their mission was. That's why God called them. That's why God chose them. Israel had known God's grace. They had been recipients of God's grace as he had taken care of them and nurtured them and protected them through the time from they left Egypt all the way through. And yet, in spite of his goodness and in spite of his love, Israel failed to embrace the responsibility that had been, that had been given to them. Amen. They didn't take it. They failed to do that which God called them to do from the very beginning. What God had created that nation to do, they refused to do. And they failed miserably and providing to the world a clear testimony of God's saving grace. Israel's response was one of rejection and failure. That's their, that was their response. That was their response to Jesus Christ and Paul's message back then. It is their response to Jesus Christ and God's message today. They rejected. They rejected what Jesus Christ had done for them. In spite of the responsibility that God gave to them, they rejected the message and they rejected the person and they rejected the responsibility. But I want you to see something else. I want you to see the reply of the Apostle Paul. The reply of the Apostle Paul. Go back to verse 46, if you would. Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you have put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul says this, It was necessary for me to preach the gospel to you. I need to tell you at least one time what Jesus Christ had done for you. And I, I did this, and this is the last time I'm going to do it. There is another example of God's faithfulness and God's patience and God's long-suffering. In spite of all their rejections, in spite of all the failure to respond the way they should have, in spite of all of that, in, in their seemingly total lack of desire to have anything that God had for them and to do anything with the gospel, please hear me, God gave them one last chance. 
Believer, so long as we live, we will never understand the mercy of God. You'll never get it. I'll never get it. God pursues men and women long after we as humans would have given up. God offers the greatest gift that anybody could ever receive, eternal life and fellowship with the Father forever. And when people reject that gift, God just continues to give them new opportunities over and over again to come and receive what he has to offer. Many people don't receive the gospel the first time they hear it. How many of you heard the gospel more than once before you trusted Jesus Christ? Hands all over the place. See, that is an example of God's faithfulness. That's an example of God's faithfulness. Even though you didn't respond the first time, God did not stop providing chances for you to come to him over and over again. God, in his mercy, will continue in pursuing and inviting people to come, even as they reject and refuse what he offers. And we see that illustrated for us in God's response to Israel. God continued to call them, even though they wanted nothing at all to do with him. But there came a time where God's focus changed. There came a time they rejected and they rejected and they rejected until finally God turns his efforts somewhere else. Look again at verse 46, if you would. That verse says, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you have put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, watch it. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. They had rejected and rejected and rejected. They didn't see a need to be saved. They didn't see a need to take what God offered to them. And so Paul says the focus of the gospel is now changing and the Jews will no longer be the primary target. Paul has swung the spotlight of salvation onto the Gentiles. And folks, that is a pivotal point in the book of Acts. And by the way, it's a pivotal point for you and me as well. Up to that point, the Jews have been the focus. They were the target. But now there's a shift. And the Gentiles become the focus of the gospel. And if each person in this room tracked your spiritual family tree, your path would be led to Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Because every Gentile that got saved, apart from the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, got saved because of this defining moment in Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Here's a fascinating truth, folks. The chain of people that led to your salvation and to my salvation began in Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. That is the origin of you hearing about Jesus Christ. In God's foreknowledge, here's what he did. The Bible tells me in Acts chapter, rather Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, God hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God did this. God in eternity looked down the corridors of time and he saw you and I out there and he saw us uh, through the faith of Jesus Christ, trusting Jesus Christ to be our savior. God saw that before we ever did. Now, God didn't make it happen as someone make you, uh, caused you to believe. He didn't make it happen. He saw it happening by your free will choice. And when God saw you making that choice and believing on Jesus Christ to be your savior, God structured a plan and God established a way so that you would have the opportunity to come to the Lord. And part of that plan began in Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Jesus Christ, God rather knowing that if you had the chance, you would trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Please listen to me. God rearranged history so you'd have the opportunity. God changed history so you could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The very events of this world were rearranged so that you and I could come to Jesus Christ. And Acts 13 verse 46 is the point where God made the way for that to happen. Now, somebody may be listening today, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. 
You've never asked God to save you through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never taken advantage of that marvelous gift that God has given to us, that eternal life. I will tell you what God has done this morning. God has rearranged the events in your life so that you might hear this message today. God has actively orchestrated all the events in your life so that you might hear today of the salvation that Jesus Christ offers you. God has led your entire life to this very moment so that you might hear the gospel that Jesus Christ died and was buried and arose again so that you might be saved. God has arranged your entire life because God loves you so much. He has geared your entire life toward this moment so you might hear and put faith in Jesus Christ today. If you're listening here, have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, my plea to you is don't waste this moment. Don't let it pass. God has focused all of history for you to this very moment. And in the moment, we're going to give you the opportunity to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Now, had Paul given up on the Jews? Were they now condemned to, to be lost forever because of the, their constant rejection? Well, the wonderful lesson that we find in this book, folks, is that God never gives up. Yeah. Grab on to that, folks. God never gives up. And particularly, God never gives up on a lost soul. God always seeks to have all people come to him. Now, it's possible, as with Israel here, their opportunities may become less. If they constantly reject and reject and reject, God is not obligated to continue to bring, to bring people and events into their lives to draw them to him. But God is always ready to receive anybody who will trust him by faith in the works that he's done. And we see that illustrated in prophecy when we realize that one day, because of God's faithfulness and long-suffering, Israel will be restored again. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'm going to predict history for you. Israel's not going to lose this war. <laughs> They're not going to lose it. There may be some tough times along the way. They're not going to lose it. Because God has decided that nation is going to push through and they're going to get the kingdom that God promised to them. Now, how that's going to happen, I don't know. I can't tell you all the details. All I know is God will restore that nation again because he promised to do it. Listen to me, believer. Don't ever give up on those who are lost in your life. Don't ever give up on them. Don't ever stop praying for them. Don't ever stop being a witness to them. No matter how many times they reject, no matter how many times they have rejected in the past, no matter how disinterested they may seem, just as Paul expressed in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10, make it your heart's desire that they might be saved. And don't stop working on them. Don't stop doing what God's called you to do because God in his mercy will use you and other events in their lives to constantly point them to the Savior. If they're going to miss salvation, they're going to have to step over Jesus Christ to do it. Because he'll be in their way every step of the way as you witness for them and pray for them. Now, they can choose to do that if they want, but they'll have to step over him to make it happen. So from this point, Acts chapter 13 and verse 46, the Gentiles become the focus of salvation. And it was always God's plan to do that. God always intended for the Gentiles to come and know of his salvation as I read to you there in the book of Isaiah. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says this. I love this verse. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all means everybody. Amen. Every person ever born onto this earth is a candidate for God's salvation and it's God's will that they might be saved. Now, the Gentiles got their salvation. It didn't happen the way God intended for it to happen because the church Jews refused to cooperate with God's plan. But the salvation of the Gentiles was always something that was a part of the plan of God. 
And with all that understanding, I want you now to see the final point here. I want you to see the Gentiles' response to God's salvation. The Gentiles' response to God's salvation. Look at verse 48. Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. Watch it. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. What they do? The first thing they did is they rejoiced. They glorified God because he had blessed them by seeing fit to save them. And the natural response to anybody who truly finds Jesus Christ as Savior is jubilation and rejoicing. That is a natural response that comes when a person trusts Jesus Christ. If we were honest with ourselves, we know what we were without Jesus Christ. We also know that there's nothing in us that could ever merit salvation. And when you think of that, and when you think that in spite of that, God saved you anyway, the natural response is to rejoice. (laughs) I don't deserve salvation. There's nothing in me that could earn salvation. But God saved me anyway. (laughs) Praise God for that. But notice the other response of the Gentiles in verse 48. The Bible tells us there, as many as were deigned to eternal life believed, many of those folks trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And here's what I think, and this is just my opinion. But I think if a person truly understands what they are without Jesus Christ, and if they can truly comprehend what God is offering to them, the only logical choice is to trust Him. (laughs) That doesn't make any, there's nothing else that makes any more sense. I believe that those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior do so because they either don't understand the extent of their sin, or they don't understand the extent of God's salvation. (laughs) They're missing a point somewhere along the way. Because if you understand what a sinner you are, and you understand what God is offering to you in spite of that sin, the natural choice is to trust Him. And that's what the Gentiles did. They trusted Him. They couldn't turn him down, and I believe that's the case in every, the life of every person who truly understands God's salvation. You can't turn him down. If a person understands their sin and the extent of God's salvation, there's no way to turn him down. No way without understanding to reject the Lord. Now, there you see the doctrinal foundation of missions, folks. That's how missions occurs. As God orchestrates people and events in lives to get the gospel to them, the missionaries that we have in the foreign fields where they are, are there because God took all of history or an ordained history to the point where the God sent them to that place. And they're exactly where they're supposed to be today because God ordained it to be that way as he manipulated all of history to make that happen. Now, Salvation, or rather, missions begin with, with the Jews, and they reject. The message, message then goes to the Gentiles. And for the, from the very beginning, folks, it was all about going and telling. Going and telling. That's what it's always been about. And going as far as required and telling no matter what the response. That's how you got your salvation this morning, folks. Somebody went and told and went and told and went and told until somebody finally came and told you. And you trusted Jesus Christ. What's it all mean to us? What do we take away from this account in Acts chapter 13? Well, I want to give you four realizations that I'd like us to make as a result of what we see here. First, realize this, and this is no brainstorm. It's just something we need to know. We are all Gentiles. I believe every person in this room is most likely a Gentile. And so here's the realization, folks. Because we are Gentiles, the gospel came to us. Because we are Gentiles, God gave us the gospel. As a result of the Jews rejecting, we are allowed to become a part of the body of Christ. Romans chapter 11, verse 11, Paul says this. Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles. Because they fell, 
Salvation is come unto the Gentiles. If those words don't cause you to rejoice and get a twinge of excitement in you as you hear them, you've been saved too long. (laughs) Salvation has come to the Gentiles, to you and I. Praise God for that. Salvation came to us. Salvation came to me. I was lost, but now I found. I was blind, but now I see. I was a sinner, but now I'm a saint. I was headed for a devil's hell, but now I have secured a place in God's heaven. <laughs> the Gentiles in Acts chapter 13 rejoiced when they heard of God's salvation. Please, believer, don't ever lose the joy of your salvation. Don't ever lose the joy of it. No matter what happens in your life, no matter how bad things get, you are saved. You always will be saved. You'll never lose it. And nobody can take it from you. Salvation has come to us. Praise God for his salvation. His great, great salvation. But number two, realize this. And the whole point of this message, we are a product of missions. You and I are a product of missions. Uh, We heard the gospel because... Somebody, somewhere in our spiritual line, starting in Acts chapter 13, uh, came to, left where they were and came to where others were, so that someday they would come to where we are, and we could tell, somebody would tell us that Jesus Christ provided salvation to us. We're saved today because there's a whole lot of folks in our spiritual line who followed the command of God in the Great Commission and went to all the world and told of Jesus Christ. I'm saved today because somebody took seriously what God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I am saved today because somebody inconvenienced themselves that I might hear the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I are products of missions today. Even though you live in America, in a Christian nation, you are a product of somebody going and telling you about Jesus Christ. Here's our third realization. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Because of what has happened to us, we must have a global vision. We must have a global vision. Israel lost its focus and became concerned only with the things that directly affected them. And as a result, they lost their privilege of doing God's work in their lives. And I believe this. I believe evangelization of the world will only occur when I get my eyes off myself and off my worries and off my needs and off my world and off my concerns and place my eyes instead on the deep, deep spiritual need of the world around us. And that's what this Sunday is all about, folks. I am hoping somehow, some way, you'll be impressed again with a deep spiritual need, not just of Canton, Ohio in this area, but of the entire world. I know that it is so easy to be consumed with making a living and providing for our families and taking care of our homes and taking care of ourselves and making our lives more comfortable and dealing with the challenges of our life that we miss the fact that there is a significant part of the world today that has never heard the name of Jesus Christ one time. As we sit here every Sunday and every Thursday hearing it over and over and over, there are people in this world who have not yet heard it once. Not yet heard it once. There are people who have no idea who Jesus Christ is. There are people in this world who have no idea what he's done for them or that he even came for them. And until you and I see this world as truly lost, the work of God will never be fulfilled and we will fail just as the nation of Israel failed. And that's why from the very beginning of this church, when this church started back in 2012, when we began to do this work, what God told us to do is focus on world missions. Focus on the needs outside of ourselves. Because I'm going to tell you something, it would be very, very easy to just stay focused here. Just stay focused on what we need to do here to reach others with the gospel. 
It'd be very easy to let others know about our church and our ministry in this area. And, of course, that's where much of our focus should be. But here's what Jesus Christ told his disciples before he left in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He told them it's not just about Jerusalem. It's not just about where you are now. He told them it's also about the uttermost part of the world. It's about all the world. That's one of the concerns I have when we purchase a new building and move into this place. It's very, very easy for us to get focused on what we need to do here. And it worries me sometimes about that. Folks, don't ever let this become your focus. This is the place God has given us to work out from, not to stay in. Like your brother Eddie said, that's just a building. That's what this is. This is just a building. This is a housing place for you and I to learn and to grow together and be trained so that we can leave this place and go out to where they are. However far God calls us to, go out to where they are and get the word of God out to those who've never heard. It's not just about Stark County. It's not just about the surrounding areas. It's not about Canton and Maslin and North Canton and Louisville and wherever else. It is about the uttermost parts of the world. And it is my firm conviction, folks, that unless we address the end of the Great Commission, we'll never fulfill the beginning of the Great Commission. Unless we reach out to all the world, we'll never reach our world with the gospel. We must never be a church that is only concerned with what goes on right here. If we want God to bless this church, if we want God to bless us, we must always be a church that looks beyond where we are to the fields across the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ even one time. And we must seek to involve ourselves in world missions as much as we possibly can. And I want to tell you something, folks. We must stretch ourselves to the very limit, personally and corporately, to be a part of reaching God's world. Stretch yourself in all ways to do the work God has called us to. And if we never get that focus, or if we ever lose that focus, if we keep our eyes only on our needs, personally and corporately, there will come a day, folks, I'm telling you, there will come a day when these doors will close. God will not honor a church that doesn't look beyond itself. There will be no growth because we chose not to get the vision that God has and God has given to us. I hope you see this morning from Acts chapter 13, God has a global vision. God does not focus on one area. God focuses on the whole area. And if we want to be like him, we must focus ourselves as well on the whole area, the global vision. Keep our eyes looking upward. Keep our eyes looking outward if we want to do the work that God has called us to do and do all that he's called us to. Here's the final realization. One individual can have a great impact on world evangelism. One person can have a great impact on reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Realize that most world evangelism is done not by mass mailings and not by great evangelistic crusades. It can be done that way. That is mostly not how it's done. World evangelism is done as one person reaches one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You saw that video of Eddie and all those folks coming to that church. That started one by one. And his whole philosophy is one by one, one by one. And as you do it one by one, people begin to come and the work begins to grow and God begins to bless one by one by one by one. Individuals supporting God, God's people who are called to go where uh, God's called them to leave where they are and go to some part of the world to, to reach those who have never heard. It happens as we get our focus on spiritual needs around us and begin to reach out to those individually as God presents people to us. Uh, we, the work is always done as one person goes out to where they are and reaches one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you and I personally get the vision of what God has done and wants us to do, 
as we personally see the need. And they will, we allow that vision to affect our hearts. And as what you see affects your heart, the work will be done. And that's always how it's been done. And that's how it always will be done until Jesus Christ comes back. Amen. Folks, listen to me. We need to personally allow God to give us a burden for lost souls. Personally. Not just the pastor, not just the church staff or the, the super spiritual ones. All of us need to seek personally for God to give us a burden for lost souls and become obsessed with those who have never heard the message of God's great love. And when we do that, we will reach this world with the gospel. When that happens, God will use us in a great way to reach the world for those who have never heard. It will become our passion to support those who are called to other places to bring that message to others. And as individuals, we'll support those who go with our prayers and with our finances and by encouraging them with cards and letters and words of support. Here's the marvelous truth, folks. The marvelous truth. Each one of us here has the opportunity and the privilege to become a part of someone else's spiritual lineage. Right now, right now, folks, in places all over the world, you are becoming a part of somebody else's salvation story. Because you give to our missionaries, because you pray for our missionaries, when it's all said and done, when it's all revealed, somewhere in that line, there you'll be as one person who had a part in some person clear across the world trusting Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Some person in northern Canada, some person in Argentina, some person in Wales, some person in South Korea, some person in the Philippines, some person in Canton or Madison, Ohio, will come to know Jesus Christ because you personally have stuck yourself into that lineage through prayer and financial support. What an amazing thought that is. What an amazing privilege that is. It is our opportunity, folks, to show God how serious we are by taking the Great Commission seriously. And we need to continue to pray and keep our eyes open as God leads us for new opportunities to tell others in all ways what Jesus Christ has done for them. I praise God for the local mission, missions of our church. I praise God for the ministries we have here, uh, the outreach for the Good News Club and so forth and so on, things that we do, uh, the sign ministry and our visitation program. Praise God for all those things. Those are things we need to be doing. That's not all we need to be doing. We've got to reach beyond that. And God has given us opportunities to do that very thing. And so my prayer is for every person in this church to catch the vision and to stay open to what part he would have you personally to do in reaching the world, the entire world, with the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may our overriding goal always be to place ourselves in the line of somebody else's salvation. May it be your goal to insert yourself in their spiritual line so that they might know Jesus Christ through some effort that you made in whatever effort that might be. The bottom line, folks, is this. It was missions that saved us. It was our ambitions and it is our involvement in missions that's going to provide salvation to somebody else. That is the message of Acts chapter 13. That is the message of this day. Place yourself as one of those who will be in the spiritual line by going and telling what Jesus Christ has done for you. Heads bowed.